Good morning. It's good to see everyone. Thank you again for coming our way and partaking in our worship service this morning. And it is our our aim to uh, to serve God, to worship Him as He has prescribed for us to do. So we are blessed to be able to stand in the presence of our God on such a beautiful worldly day as this, earthly day as this, an even more special day because this is the first day of the week and we can indeed come together as his children and worship him on this day. I want to talk this morning about peace. As is with uh, lots of subjects and words and terms that we use daily, sometimes we, we lose some of the meaning and some of the, um, the impact that a word like peace might have. You know, we, if we go to define it, a lot of times, what's the first thing that pops to your mind? Peace, well, the absence of war, the absence of conflict. And if you look in a definition, in a, in a, in look in a dictionary, that's going to pop up, and it's going to pop up here in just a moment. But there's really more to it than that, isn't there? Especially when we talk about the peace of God. There's more to it than that. And we're going to look this morning about peace, and, and really as it applies to three um, different groups of people or to three people, however you might slice that. So let's talk first this morning and, and do some definitions. Um, if you look in the dictionary, I think this is Merriam-Webster. Peace is defined as a state of tranquility, such as freedom from civil disturbance. So there's our, there's our kind of generic term about our definition about peace, freedom from civil disturbance. Or a state of security or order within the community provided by law or custom. And we, we understand that. I'm not taking anything away from that because that is, especially on the earthly plane, we want to live in peace. We do lots of things uh, so that we might live peacefully, don't we? We lock our doors most of the time, right? We lock our doors at night and we do things so that we are, are not um, attacked and, and molested by um, people in the world, by anything. We, we, we want to live in peace. We choose our houses that we live in and our neighborhoods so that we can live peacefully. And certainly that is, um, that is our aim on the earthly plane. Also is defined as this, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. That gets a little bit more towards what we, we talk about in this lesson. It's, it's an inner peace that we're really going to focus on in this lesson. Um, and then going along with that is a harmony in personal relations. So there's, uh, there's some external um, aspects of peace, and then there's some internal aspects of peace. We're going to talk about those this morning. I want to start with understanding, first of all, about how important it is uh, to understand and to be at peace with God. Um, God promised peace in the kingdom. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures this morning, so I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, please turn along and follow along with us. We're going to be looking at several things from Scripture because it's important to see what God has told us about peace. And he's told us a lot. First, as we mentioned, let's understand that God promised that there's going to be peace in the kingdom that he's going to establish at the time that the, the Old Testament prophets are writing. 
Here is Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He writes, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And right away we see, of course, that this is messianic in prophecy. This is talking about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So the peace that God is going to bring about in Jesus Christ is just that, is brought about in Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom that he's going to set up. And it says here, this, this is a mighty kingdom and a kingdom that will prevail over all the, the, the other kingdoms of the world. Look also over in chapter 52 of Isaiah. And verse 7. Again, messianic in its, in its prophecy. How lovely on the mountains... Uh, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who, anoints, uh, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. There's a lot in that little verse right there about the coming Messiah and what he's going to bring about. Uh, announces peace, it says, brings good news and happiness, announces salvation, your God reigns. So in this kingdom that God is going to set up, that he's promising here during this time, it's going to be a kingdom of peace. And that's important to understand about the God that we serve, that he wants us to serve in a kingdom of peace, not a kingdom of strife, not a kingdom of turmoil and bickering and gossips and all those ugly things that people do to one another. He was setting up a kingdom of peace. And as we mentioned, that peace is realized in Jesus Christ. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. One thing that God had to do was to bring the Jew and the Gentile together. For so long, the Jew was the child of God by inheritance, by birthright. But now Jesus Christ came and made salvation available to all men. So there's a reconciliation that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2, but listen to what he says here and, 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 and realize about the reconciliation and what that means. The beginning of verse 14 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the, of the, of the dividing wall. That's the, the speaking of the tearing down between the, the Jew and the Gentile. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, and by having it put to death the enmity. And he who came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For though, uh, through him we have our access into one spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. 
having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So not only is there the reconciliation between the Jew and, and the Gentile, but there's a reconciliation in Jesus Christ himself. And it has established peace in this world. Now we know that there's uh, lots of strife and things going on in the world. But in the kingdom of God, there's peace. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And that peace was realized, of course, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, because of this peace and because of the peace that God promised in his kingdom, we have been reconciled to God. Look in Romans 5 with me. Romans 5, beginning in verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God... Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God wanted to establish a kingdom of peace. That peace was realized in Jesus Christ and what he did for us in dying on the cross. And now we've been reconciled back to God. Now we can live in that kingdom of peace that God has established. If we are faithful, if we put on Christ, if we are baptized into the body of Christ, then we are in that kingdom. And as you might imagine, what would flow next is if we are a part of this kingdom and there's supposed to be peace in this kingdom, then we've got to find a way to be at peace with one another. It's up to us to be at peace with each other because God has not established a, a kingdom of chaos or of division or of enmity. He's established a kingdom of peace. The kingdom of God established is one of peace. Look back in Isaiah. Again, the prophecy of the coming kingdom, what will it be? What will this uh, kingdom be that God is going to establish? Well, one of the things it's going to be, it's going to be a kingdom of peace, as we've already looked at. But that not only means that God has set this up, and this is the way it's going to be when, in, in regards to other nations and the world, but within the kingdom, there's going to be peace. In Isaiah 2, beginning in verse 2, it says, Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. 
Isaiah is talking on a spiritual plane here. We know that nations continue to raise up swords against nations. But in the spiritual battle, there's one kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And so, if we are going to be a part of that kingdom, we've got to find a way to live at peace with each other. We've got to have the peace among ourselves. We must be... uh, not quarrelsome. We must recognize that we've got to get along. Look in Romans chapter 12. One of those familiar verses and places that we can go and, and understand that the peace relies on us. In Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 17, it says, Never repay back evil for, uh, for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Notice verse 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. It's difficult sometimes, isn't it? But as much as it relies on me, as much control as I have, I've got to be at peace with all men. Some things are out of my control. But that doesn't excuse me from trying to be at peace with all men. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A lot of times we like to step in there, don't we? Yeah, we, we want to take our own revenge. We want to take our own, we want to expel our own wrath. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, so often we see uh, the opposite of what we, we might think is good and right and proper. And what we want to do, God says the opposite of that is what you ought to do. The opposite of that. Take your own vengeance? No. Feed and give water to your enemy. Sometimes hard for us to understand. Well, we've got to be at peace with each other. We have to recognized again that this kingdom that we live in is to be one dominated by peace. And not only is it just peace that we uh, say, but it's a peace that we have to put into practice. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is where, as with so many things, the application side of it sometimes is difficult. It's easy for us to understand the philosophy and the uh, and the meaning behind it, sometimes it's very, very hard to translate that over into the application. What it means when the rubber hits the road. In Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. So, look how Paul sets this out. He says, walk in a manner worthy by the, which, the manner in which you've been called. What is the manner in which we've been called? We've been called by the blood of Christ, by the sacrifice of God's only Son. That's the bar. That's what level by which we have to strive to achieve. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What are we willing to do for our brother or sister in Christ? Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's our word again, peace. Preserve um, 
the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Verse 4. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Why is it that we, we need to be unified? Because of all these ones that Paul lists here. One body, one spirit, one hope for your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We can't be divided and be unified at the same time. What makes that so? What makes it so that we can live together in harmony and unity? It's peace. We've got to be at peace with one another. And it's up to us to do that. He says, entreat, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Diligent to preserve the bond of unity. That's an ongoing thing, isn't it? We see words like diligence and uh, those kind of words, walk in a manner. It's an ongoing thing. We have to make sure that we are ongoing in our uh, diligence and our uh, strive to be unified. It's an ongoing effort. So the last group that we will look at when, in regards to peace is the peace that we need to have within ourselves. You know, I, I debated on which way to order these. We start with ourselves and then others and then God? Or do we start with God and then others and then ourselves? Could have went either way, I guess. But I put it this way because we have to be at peace with ourselves. And this is going to see, as we'll look at the verses that we'll look at, it's going to tie directly into the peace that we have with God. And so while we might separate them out and look at them in, in different, um, different ways and different sections, you'll see how they're all interconnected and how important that is. And it all starts with the peace of God. What is it that he wants? What is it that he has set up? He set up a kingdom of peace. So we have to live within that kingdom peacefully. The peace that we're talking about here is not a peace that's found in the world. Look over in John's gospel, John chapter 14. <clears throat> you know, the world might try to tell us what peace is, but God's word is where we need to look to find what peace means to the Christian. John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I, live, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But look what he says now. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So Jesus is drawing a distinction between the peace that he's leaving with them and the peace of the world. And there is a difference. Look over in chapter 16. Maybe a page over in your Bible. Chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. Or you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So you see Jesus is, is not only drawing the distinction, but he's, 
he's getting his disciples ready for the tribulation that they're going to face in the world. The gospel message that they're going to be proclaiming is going to put their lives at risk and ultimately put them to death. But he says, these things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace. How is it that, we, that they can have peace in the face of this adversity? We're going to talk about a little bit more about that in a minute. But he's saying this is the peace. In the world there's tribulation. And brethren, in the world there's tribulation now, isn't there? So how do we have peace if there's so much tribulation around us in the world? Well, it's up to that inner self. It's up to the inner parts of us that we can uh, have that peace. And let's understand this, that true peace can only be found in God. Look over in Philippians 4. David read part of this for us. Philippians 4, back up in verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there's the peace that we're, that's the peace that we're after. The peace of God. Verse 8, finally, brethren, what is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. See how the God of peace is so important in understanding this? While we need to have peace within ourselves, what is it that we're looking for? What kind of peace are we looking for? We're looking for the peace of God. And what is that? That's the peace of the kingdom that he's established. That's the peace of living with one another in harmony, in unity, and recognizing that that all is made possible by Jesus Christ. And so, we not, don't need to be anxious for anything. But by what? By prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And then what does Paul say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How can that be? How can... I have the peace of God. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I can't answer that question. Because the next phrase answers it this way. It surpasses all comprehension. Surpasses my comprehension. How can I be at peace when so much tribulation is all around me? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. That's what we have to do. The rest is out of our hands. It surpasses all comprehension. We rely on God. We rely on him to give us the peace, the peace of God. So let's do our part. Prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And let that peace of God, which surpasses our comprehension... Let God provide that, because Scripture says he will. And as we've been alluding to, the peace that we need to have is a peace that's in the face of 
of all adversity. Because we don't live in a peaceful world. We don't live in a peaceful, worldly world. The kingdom in which the Christians live in is peaceful. But the world in which we live in, in this world, and on this earth, is a world of tribulation. So how is it that we can have peace in the face of all this adversity? In 2 Peter 3 and verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Now that sounds easy, doesn't it? To be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. But notice the context in which this verse is, has been plucked out. And I plucked it out for a reason. Because if you just read that verse, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found peace, uh, in peace, spotless and blameless. What things are you looking for? Peter's talking about the destruction of the earth. He's talking about a time when Jesus will come back and judge the world. So the, the things that we're looking for Terrible things. Destructive. When the, the, the earth is going to look back at verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work shall be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in the holy conduct and godliness? Looking and hastening for the coming day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, not only looking for the, the new heavens and the new, uh, new earth where righteousness dwells, but look into the context in which that's going to have to come about. It's the context and the destruction of this earth and the heavens that we know. But when this happens, be diligent to be found in him by peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Have you ever thought about what that means, really? Patience of our Lord to salvation. It means because God, because Jesus hasn't come back today, and because we're still drawing breath, we have opportunity for salvation. When one of those two things is no longer Either we're no longer drawing breath, or the Lord comes back. We have no more chance for salvation. The salvation that we have in front of us, while we have opportunity, is while we're still alive. Because when the Lord comes back, it'll be too late. And that's the point that Peter is making in this passage. He begins the, talking about... Um, how the coming day, there's scoffers that, that are saying that the, the, coming, the Lord's not coming back. Since, since creation, all things have been this way. The Lord's not coming back to destroy the earth. And he reminds them, the Lord's already destroyed the earth one time with the flood. The next time, it's going to be a total destruction where everything's going to be burned up and there will no longer be an earth. So what kind of people ought you to be in holy conduct Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. There's our duty while we're on this earth. To be found in peace, spotless and blameless. I'll leave you with this last verse from 2 Corinthians 13. 
verse 11. It says, finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. We can take great comfort in that, can't we? That we have things that we need to do. We need to be made complete. We need to be like-minded. We need to live in peace. And what's the promise? God of love and peace will be with you. God has set up a wonderful kingdom. We get to partake of it in a way while we're still on this earth. But the kingdom that lives forever is that kingdom in heaven. And that kingdom is waiting for those righteous servants. When they'll come that day, we'll stand in front of our God and give an account for what we have done, the deeds that we have done in the body. Let's make sure that those deeds and the things that we have done are righteous things. And a lot of that is contained within peace. Living peacefully with ourselves, living peacefully with one another, and understanding and appreciating and living in the peace of God. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to make things right, to understand that the body of our Lord is the church, it is the kingdom, and there's only one way to come into that body, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've not been baptized, I would encourage you to, to diligently seek the word of God and see what it means and understand what it means to become a child of God. If there's anything that we can help you with, we can do that. If as a child of God, you're not living a peaceful life, either with one of these groups, with yourself, with others, or with God, I encourage you to make that right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.